Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast, Turning to Pointing Labrador, episode number 191. And today I'm going to take a little different tact because of a number of questions and suggestions that I've had recently. So this one is going to be about um, dog and human psychology together and in the efforts of training. And I don't care what you're training for, but in training. And I think there's some important things uh, at least some people will be interested in, in talking about. Of course, the Olympics is going on right now also, which is, I just love that. You know, the, those top, top best in the world athletes and, and how they prepare and what they do. I think there's something for all of us to learn from that who, you know, are training for things and competing and stuff. And I was listening to um, a podcast or something by, by somebody who was talking about the difference between, you know, being pretty good and complete success, complete, you know, in a competitive thing. How do you do the very, very best you really are capable of? And it was fascinating. I just throw it out because, to me, it, all of this resonated very strongly. Um, it, it's an approach that I learned a long time ago from some great people, and I've worked on at least trying to do right uh, the whole time. And the bottom line of, of what I got out of this was that if you want to be extremely good, and by extremely good, I don't mean even necessarily compared to anybody else, but to reach the maximum of what you are capable of doing, you have to have obviously an objective, right? You want to, you know, title this dog or teach this dog to do this or, you know, ski down the hill faster than everybody else, whatever it is. You have an objective, a, a thing that seems like it would be really nice. And you put that out there and then you let that, you just leave it set somewhere. And what you do then is become fully engaged and involved and focused and dedicated to the process and it really is the process and in the end when you talked about people who are you know have won the national championship or you know or won a gold medal or whatever it is they've done they've done you know they, what they hoped maybe even couldn't quite believe that they could set out to do if you talk to them they will say that the reward ultimately in what they've done was the process itself. That that is more the reward than, you know, the trophy, the ribbon, the title, the whatever that you've got. It, the most, the, what those people who are very successful at whatever it is they're doing, it isn't that they've got this, you know, let, let's use the Olympics that's going on, this gold medal, you know, a picture of it taped on their wall and they stare at it every day. That's not what's going to get them to that level. It's today I'm going to go out and do this very fundamental thing and work on this particular thing and actually enjoy it. And I'd have to say, getting back to dog training, that for me, um, you know, and I've had reasonable success in my life. I've done almost all the things that I set out to do with regard to, to the dogs, almost. But I never could win the national amateur because I'm no longer an amateur. But... Uh, The reason that, that I do what I do every day is because getting really connected with the dog and figuring the dog out and trying to understand what makes them tick so I can teach them the things 
that they need to know and the behaviors and all of that. In the end, you know, when I'm an old, old lady I, and I'm looking back at all this, I'm not going to remember how many times I did this or that. Or well, I'm going to remember that one little dog that wouldn't had no interest in retrieving until we did certain things, and then she became phenomenal. It was just where all the rules were broken by not giving up, by staying the course, by trying different things, by being invested in the process of dog training instead of the results of the dog training. The results will come, just like when I was training for my Ironman and I had a really tough coach. And he said, no, you're not racing. Don't even think about racing. Just go do this and go do this. And I was just invested in the entire process and then wound up going to the world championship. So, you know, I said, "Woo, there's another case of where you just go out and are invested in what you're doing each day and then let whatever's going to happen happen. Usually it, it can be very surprising. So it's very true in the dog stuff. So anybody in the retriever world that's training and doing these kind of things, if, you know, yeah, you want to be a Master National Hall of Fame or, you know, all the Grand Poopa stuff in the HRC or you want to go to the Triple Crown in the APLA or whatever other things, other dog things do. If you want to do that, that's great. That's admirable to have a goal like that. That stuff's a lot of fun. Then really say, all right, and here's the steps that are going to get me there. And not just steps. You know, you don't go uh, ski downhill faster than everybody else in the world by skiing downhill faster, as fast as you can every day. That's not what they do, right? There's so much fundamental things that go into it, and the conditioning, and the weightlifting, and the cardio, and the studying of the ice, and the skis, and what is their weak spot. So much fundamentals, and just going down a mountain really fast. And in our dog world, whatever you do, there are, um, there are so many fundamentals. And if those are boring and not fun and you rush through those things, then you will never get to that gold medal at the bottom of the mountain. You won't do it. But if you can just be heavily invested in the little bitty things and make sure that this one is done really well and then move on to the next, then you do get to the bottom of the hill faster than everybody else. It, it just really does work that way. So... In terms of approach in dog training, if you have lofty goals or even if you don't want to compete, but you just want, you know, this Cadillac of a, probably date myself there, this Ferrari of, a, of an animal that you go out with and you're just equal team members and partners and all that, then stop and break this down to the little bitty pieces. You know, in the book when I wrote that, I, I took one guy and he got a puppy and he really didn't know a lot about this and he invested himself this is in training the point in labrador he invested himself very much in the little routine things and it didn't always work and sometimes he failed and sometimes he didn't really understand why he should keep doing this but he did and then at the end he winds up and he's not a competitive dog at all but a dog that can pretty much handle all the things that come their way you know gracefully and elegantly with thorough confidence and knowledge both of them just by really working on the fundamentals for however long it takes. So um, for some of the comments and things that I've had with regard to uh, success, I, I would say that that is just absolutely it. And then when I heard this podcast, I went, oh, gosh, I, I want to just revisit that a little bit for people because I think it's, 
I think it's very uh, important. And I, I'd say for professional trainers, and I don't think there's very many of any listening to this, I'm not sure, but if there are people that, if you're training dogs for other people, all right, there's an inherent pressure, or there should be, because when people give you money, <laughs> then you need to deliver what they're paying for or else not take their money. So there's pressure there. And it's so we tend to want, can easily tend to, you know, okay, I got to get the next one and I got to get the next one and I got to get the next one. And I only have 10 minutes per dog today to do this or that. When we do that, then we're being entirely goal oriented and not process oriented. And, you know, this is a hard one to balance for good professional trainers. It's a hard one to balance, but you have to do it. And in the end, in my experience anyway, I would say if you got to either maintain the schedule or invest in the dog, you're better off investing in the dog and either having to just wait till tomorrow to finish the other dogs you have. But doing it right and being fully invested in it is um, absolutely going to lend greater success for you. Okay. So the process is always greater than the goal, and that's how you get there. This is part of another question now, or not a, a suggestion. I'm going to just take part of it for right now. And well, I have two questions. So I had one, somebody said, will you talk about some dog psychology, just how, how dogs are and what, and, and then the other one I had was, this is a part of a question Art had, or not question, suggestion, when a dog regresses. When they regress, what do you do? And so I'm going to kind of put those two things together. When I, how we look at dogs uh, is how we treat them and how we train them and how we deal with them. And I just want to make some observations. For me, and this has been since I was a little kid, a dog is not like a, uh, that's my dog. It's like this other being there with me. You know, yes, it has four legs and ears, and it doesn't have talk and in regular and the way we do. But it's a to me, it's very much a living being. And having watched them for all of my life and worked with them all of my life, they're they're not humans and they're not the same as us. But they are they are I'm going to say they're human, quote unquote, air quotes there on that. In that they have good days, bad days, right? They have things that they love and things that they don't like. They feel certain ways. They absorb our energy far beyond what anyone ever knows. And I mean far beyond what anybody ever knows. So they have, they're this incredible emotional, energetic, um, aware living thing that many of us just look at like it's their dog butt, right? Okay, I have a dog, and I want to teach him this and that and this and that. And so what are the steps? What are the words I use? And there's absolutely, I mean, I don't even deal with that. I, when people ask me that, I, don't, I go, no, no, I can't do that. Because it isn't about the word you use or the steps you go through. I mean, those are pieces of something. But the bigger thing is un understanding the inside of this dog. Now, I, I, the hard part of the, the thing I've had difficulty trying to really quantify, and maybe it just isn't quantifiable, is how much of what's going on with this dog of mine is me imparting myself and my own emotions and energy level and dark or light perspective, and how much of it is the fundamental nature of the dog. And I think depending on the individual dog and the individual person, that, that's a sliding scale. 
I've seen many dogs that just absorb their person. They just absorb them. And they basically are like, I've said it before, like two people married for a zillion years. They're just almost the same. And the dog is taking on everything from that person. Now, I don't mean that they, you know, they burp at dinner and, and uh, sleep too late. I, I mean they, the perspective, the energy level, the, the, oh, life is great and they're more robust. Or, oh, life is terrible, I feel terrible. And then they reflect that kind of thing. Um, some dogs really do that. So when you're trying to train that dog and you're that kind of a darker person or unhappy or worried or what anxious, whatever you are, and then your dog's exhibiting that, you know, it's, you, you see it really well. And it's, since it's a part of you, you're kind of critical of that. And so you're unhappy with what the dog is doing and all the dog is doing is reflecting you back to you. And so you can't ever just um, go, all right, I'm going to do this different thing and make this dog do this stuff. If you don't understand the psychology between that dog and you, then it's going to be very hard to address problems or weird behaviors or stuff like that. Now, a lot of times it's the dog that has, you know, there's dogs that have, they're like, they're in similar to us in that, you know, there's robust, positive, happy, joyful, high energy level dogs, regardless and then there's dogs that are kind of mopey and aren't real interested and aren't too motivated. And so they're in everything in between. It's very helpful if you can objectively, that's hard to do, especially when you're all in love with them, but to objectively look at this dog and say, you know, he's just kind of a, a real upbeat dog, always just assuming the best, hoping for the best and getting the most out of everything or not. You know, well, he's just as soon stay home and not go do this with me. <laughs> Every time we go out to work, I have to drag him out there. That might, assuming you're not, there's something that he should be dreading when you go out, then that's an aspect of your dog. And in training, living with them, working with them, and training them, it's very good to know what the psychology of your dog is. And like people. When you go out and, you, again, you're, let's say you have a training group and you want to be the best one in the training group, right? And you want to impress people and have everybody think you're really great. And so there's all this pressure on this dog. And then they don't thrive under that kind of pressure where you're pushing them a little too hard or asking a little too much. And so they begin to pull back and they begin to not, and their performance goes down and their interest goes down and down and you get upset at the dog. Again, I, that's a no-win situation because when you do get upset with the dog and then they feel bad, you think they're wanting to get out there again and go through that more and then it gets more, the thing grows and increases. So it's helpful if you can be aware that perhaps you're asking too much of the dog, perhaps you haven't taught them what they need to know, or perhaps your moods in working with them and ignoring how they feel and not seeing them for what they are. So you just make these demands. And sometimes they have bad days and sometimes they don't feel right. Or sometimes their you know, emotional state isn't what it would be if you were, things were going well. Those things happen all the time. And I, you know, people just have their dog bought. And they just walk up there and they do their work and the dog should do this. And when it doesn't, then they, they get upset. And so... In my world, I think it's important that we understand, uh, you know, what we bring and what that dog brings and what's happening on that stuff. And I, I'll tell you, 
the reason that I, I talk about this and I'm aware of this is because I have discovered the hard way over a lot of years of training these dogs and a lot of dogs. And, and I've, you know, on days when I'm upset about something or unhappy about something or politics have got me down or something has, has me down and I go out, it's amazing that all my dogs are just cantankerous and they kind of disappoint me and they're not. And I've seen this pattern enough to know, I know going in, okay, you're in that state today. So you've got to go in there and work with these dogs and do what you can to not bring that in and dump it on them because they're going to reflect it back and then you're going to get mad because you're mad anyway and you can take it out on the dog and there's so much to that even just the people one dog just you and your dog and it, again if you're if you're um, whatever psychological state you're in this goes over to your dog and it affects their training and I've seen this many times in people that I'm close to whose dogs been trained and then the dog starts doing weird stuff you know and they they, they want to know why is this dog doing weird stuff well <laughs> well the, the person has been doing weird stuff too and you know in a kind of an emotional state or kind of withdrawn or been angry or been frustrated I don't always know but they're in a real different state and then their dog goes and does screwy stuff and the, you know they ask me well, well how do I fix that and there's nothing I can say because whatever it is, it'll be insulting. Like, well, it's not them, it's you. And that's a standing joke in my training group anymore. I know, it's my fault, but that's actually it. You are the higher IQ uh, individual there, and you're the one that needs to figure this stuff out. The dog just reflects how it feels and what's happening to you. So dog psychology and human psychology are intimately linked when you train a dog all the time and dogs folks uh, and I'll just give my opinion on the dog thing which I have many times dogs do not uh, give you the finger right never never met the dog that gave anybody a finger dogs tell you how they feel dogs express themselves and dogs reflect what they have taught and been and what you are with them that's all that happens so when I hear somebody say, oh, my dog is just a big snot today, as they say in that tone of voice, you know, it's like, well, really? <laughs> Again, what I, it's nothing I can say right there because this person is not been paying attention and it's kind of mad and this and that. And so the dog is reflecting that exactly back to them and then they're mad at the dogs and then they take it out and then the dog reflects more of that, you know, get away from me. You are so unpleasant. So very often, you know, people just assume the dog is intentionally trying to make them mad. I, I don't think that's in there for them. That's how we read stuff because that's how we are feeling right then. That may sound goofy, but it is very, very true. And when dogs are, um, let's say, start to wane in interest or motivation to do things, when prior, when before they had exhibited that, Right, something has changed. Assuming they are not unwell, that there's not some chemistry problem with them or something, you know, physically wrong. Assuming that that's not it, you always have to check that if there is a change in their behavior and their energy level and all that. When that does happen, right, something has brought that on. And again, a lot of times it's your expectations are too high, your demands are too high, or you're asking stuff without having taught what it is well enough 
there's so many ways that dogs can become um, very disheartened. And it's not an intentional thing. And to all the advanced retriever trainers who want to go show the dog his boss or say, you know, he's given me the finger, that tells you everything about that individual as a human. Because when they assume evil on the part of another dog, they're very familiar with evil. That's what I'll say. So if you start blaming dogs for being bad guys, it gives you a real insight into them. Because people that don't do that never think of that. And people who do do that, that's the first place they go to. I know that well. Um, not That's not me, but I've seen it and experienced it a lot. So that's another important thing. Dogs are not out there trying to screw you over. Dogs do not want you to get mad and start pushing electric collar buttons and screaming and yelling and getting all crazy. They do not want that. They will do anything they can to not have that. But you've never showed them what they can do clearly to keep everything going well. You haven't showed them. Or you don't care. You're just mad. And if you're just mad, then the dog is going to be punished because you're mad and they can't do anything about it. So there's a lot of self-evaluation in dog training. I think it should be 90% self-evaluation, 10% dog. But, you know, it's a lot easier to just blame the dog all the time. So I, the dog psychology and the human psychology, you know, they're going to reflect you or exactly oppose you because they have no choice. So a lot of dogs that are uh, giving you the finger are not. You're doing something that they just can't manage well. So if anybody should be getting in trouble, it should be the trainer, not the dog. Are there, if you're trying to make a dog do something that it really doesn't want to do, the only way it can tell you that is by not doing what you want it to do. So there's a difference between a disheartened, you know, kind of sad dog who just doesn't understand and has tried and that doesn't do him any good, and a dog who really doesn't want to do this stuff and the, there are plenty of them and I have watched many people <laughs> try to make a dog do what they want it to do when the dog's going I hate this stuff it'd be like like me want I want to be an opera singer I'm going to go sing opera everybody which I wouldn't let's say everyone else made me go try to be an opera singer and I hate that and I, well, I can't do it and and they know just keep trying eventually you'll get better and I would hate it so would you to do something in which you have no interest and no ability. And yet people get very much after dogs on that stuff. So are you asking too much? Have you taught adequately? Are you blaming the dog for stuff? Which means now you're just kind of being tough and abusing on them. And, and they, there's nothing they can do. They can't. They're doing their best. And if you don't agree with that, again, that says a lot about you. Um, because... There's no dogs out there trying to uh, experience pain and anger. There just aren't any. So dog psychology, human psychology tied very much together. Again, going back to the first topic, if you are engaged in the process of educating this dog and taking the small necessary steps, you can often stay out of that bad area. But if you're emotional and you're a, a, an anger person or a judgmental or a critical person or I don't care enough, I bought this dog and he needs to do this stuff, it's, then you're not really in the process. You're just trying to reprogram your dog bot 
and get them to do things right, and that's not what they are. So that's a that's a kind of a, an important thing. Now, the last topic, a good friend, uh, just address this to me personally, but I'm going to answer it on a little bit of a um, on the whole podcast level here, because uh, I think it's important. And it's about how do you continue when you have dogs and you're in a program and you're working on it and you've got stuff, you know, you're progressing and teaching, and then you are either um, injured, you know, something is wrong. You're, in other words, you're training. Now you need to, you're, you're in rehab or you're in a lot of pain from some chronic condition or an injury or something. And so you physically are having great difficulty. Or it could be for some people, too, when you're in emotionally, you know, you've gone through a, a really bad thing. Um, I had to fight that a little bit last year, going through a kind of an ugly divorce and stuff. And it is like, okay, I can't, this is really hard. And how do I continue to go do what I'm trying to do to the benefit of these dogs? Emotional pain, physical pain. There's a lot of different kinds. And how do we continue to progress with our dogs and give our dogs what they need um, and yet take care of ourselves and what's happening to us. That's a, and that's a hard, that's a juggling act. And I think it's probably, um, it can be really difficult. And I can't address specific, you know, issues and rehab issues, but let's say you at least are capable of getting up and walking and, and, you know, if you're not, then someone else is going to have to help you with the dogs. But if you're in pain, emotional pain, very hard to teach things when you're in emotional pain or in physical pain. So to go back to some earlier dog things, what our dogs need, right, is a balance of a number of things. They, they need some mental challenge. They need a, some physical challenge. You know, they've, they've got to have that because they're athletes. And they need to feel like they have a purpose, which is a good thing to play on in all of this. Because if you are connected with the animal that you're training, or animals, they again, they absorb your energy, they absorb your emotional state, they connect with it on, not on a verbal level, like the words I'm using, they connect with it on a, a very primal level. That's all I can say. They don't have words. They just connect with you and understand that it's this way. It has this feel to it. And it is part of their, most of our dog's, you know, ancestry to want to help. Uh, to want to, uh, that's a little bit trivial of a word. To want to pair up with you and do their part. So if you can manage between some physical activity if you can manage between some mental challenge, and depending on if you're in physical pain or you're in a lot of emotional pain, um, it depends on which one of those is the hardest to do. But those are the three elements. So the, the for example, let's just say the movement part, right? So regardless of what state you're in, if you can move and don't have eight feet of snow or 50 mile an hour blizzard winds, if you can get outside with your dog and have them move, even if, you know, you are sitting in a ATV or I don't like the truck stuff. You can run over dogs with that. I'm not even going to suggest that. Or you are walking slowly. 
you can do this and use it as a little bit of a mental challenge thing at the same time. So you can, and break it up. You don't want to go out and just do, I'd say, because their, their activity is, is less than it would be if you were at full capacity. Mix together a little bit, the physical and the mental challenge. So take them outside in a safe place where they can walk and they're freely, you know, freely moving with you. And let's say it, practice the obedience stuff while they're doing stuff. They're out walking in front of you 20 feet. If you have a remote sit, have them sit. Have them come halfway to you, have them sit. In other words, unexpected things, that's obediency stuff. It's also handling stuff for retriever people, fundamentals of it. And so, oh, they did that. Cast them back and then turn them loose. Let them go out there. You know, at first they're like, what, what is this? I don't understand. But all we're doing is getting some exercise for the body and for the mind. And it can be different things on different days. And I would suggest that so that they don't know what's coming, which makes it kind of cool. It's not like, here we go again. They don't know what's coming and you break it up and you do mix a couple things. You can even, you know, if you could throw a retrieve, have them, you know, make a swoop. They got to sit, go get it, come to me, give it to me. All right, now walk. That's a very upbeat thing that with relatively limited physical mobility you can do and if you do it one-on-one -on -one, not you and you know your five dogs but if you can do that one-on-one -on -one and just watch them and so that right there they're working for you that means a lot to them and to you I know and then they're getting some physical work and then they're having to think and then it's different every day and as you feel better or improve you can add to the complexity of some of this, the length of the walk, the speed of the walk, and the complexity of what you're asking. Until, and, and it, for, uh, let's say on the emotional side, you know, you, you've lost a loved one, you've lost something, something that's so difficult has happened. Dogs are often the very best healers, one of the very best. So when you're in a bad way, I know this over my whole life, when you're in a bad way, emotionally you can get out and walk unless it's harmful to the dog too cold or too whatever get out and walk that's good for you both for both of you and then again mix it up with a little bit of whatever it is you do if you don't have off-lead obedience on them then have a longer cord and do some when they're 10 feet away make them sit or make them he come heal over to you and so again you just make the dog do just simple things so you don't have to be just right on top of it. And then they give you that look in the eye, like whatever you want, I'm going to do it for you. I'm here to help you. That energy goes into you. And that's very helpful to wounded people. And as you begin to do these kind of activities with dogs, you begin to get a sense of the capacity of this effort you're going through and how you can make a little more of your demand or a little more of the physical stuff or, if necessary, a little more of them looking at you as they're there to help you. You're not doing them wrong by not being able to do the things you used to do or would like to do. They don't do that. That's a human thing. They, When they're doing something and you're challenging them a little bit, understanding what their needs are, they're going to give you back tenfold. So anyone listening to this, if you haven't ever done anything like that, try it. If, if you're in a physically or emotionally or mentally bad way, 
These guys are the best psychiatrists in the world, and they just give absolutely unconditionally. So whether physical, whether emotional, understand that part of these guys want to connect with you, and they will feed the energy back to you and feed the, the um, teamwork thing back to you. And so if you're feeling kind of down or bad or whatever, they will make you feel better. They will show you what your value is as you're showing them how valuable they are to you by making this effort in a very difficult time. Absolute fact. I guarantee that stuff. So there's other more things on this. In art, I didn't get to all of yours, just a little piece of it. But um, I, I think this is important stuff uh, between people and dogs because they're a lot more than your hunting buddy or your, you know, hunt test guy or your field trial dog. They're, they're a lot more than that, whether you realize it or not. It, even if you just throw them in the kennel when you're done every day and get them out in the morning and do stuff, you know, they, uh, they become that sort of inanimate thing because you treat them that way but when you begin to recognize about what this connection is it's a very powerful thing for both of you on levels far beyond you know double t swim by water blinds on a much further level so give that a little bit of thought anyway and uh i hope everyone is again staying warm staying healthy and uh g and i was doing great had a great week We'll just keep going. Nothing new to report. We will be back soon.